Welcome to A Trip to the Movies, I'm Alex Zane and this episode is brought to you by Odeon because if you're going to watch a movie, it has to be at an Odeon Lux. For me, there's no better place to experience the mesmerising magic of the big screen and when I say big, I mean crystal clear, four times sharper, subtly curved, larger than life, I sense big. A place where you can recline in luxury while sipping on your favourite beverage as you immerse yourself in the all-consuming power of the story, enriched by epic Dolby Atmos that will make your spine tingle and the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Now that is how to experience a movie and there's no better feeling. You can book your Odeon Lux experience at odeon.co.uk or on the Odeon app. Odeon say, we make movies better. And they're not wrong. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So, if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, I'll tell you how at the end of the show. And don't forget you can find out all the latest on our upcoming guests as well as plenty of extras on our socials, Instagram, Twitter and TikTok where we're at Trip to Movies Pod. And if you'd like to watch the full video interviews with all our guests, head to our A Trip to the Movies Patreon where as well as the full video interview, you can get early access to the podcast itself as well as plenty more. All right then, let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week, we're joined by a man who I'm calling a bona fide film fanatic. He's co-hosted the Commode on Film podcast. He's one half of the phenomenally successful comedy duo Jack and Dean. And on top of that, he's an incredibly talented writer and director. And having fact-checked, he never said he was quitting YouTube, taking us <laughs> on today's trip to the movies. It's the excellent Mr. Jack Howard. Jack, hello, Hooray! how are you? And Way! the crowd goes wild. <laughs> hello. <laughs> I am very well, thank you. How are you? Yes, I, I, I'm very good. I'd obviously normally start uh, the, the, this podcast uh, and this section by sort of going, uh, what have you been up to? But uh, as you probably guessed from my introduction, I just watched a an entire recap video of your past year, which I only wish every guest did because I'm like, okay, yeah. that's my research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's the update. I think the most um, the most recent thing, uh, you know, it's not like a plug of something I've done, but like a little achievement that happened a couple of days ago that within the industry only means something, but like to everybody listening to this, they're going to be like, what's that? But there's a, there's a thing called the Kinsale Sharks, which is like an industry kind of awards thing. Mm. Um, and I, I just won uh, for best comedy direction, which is just such a, such a surprise and such a like fun thing. And yeah, I, I'm it just, as I'm trying to transition into just doing more directing outside of all the YouTube things and things like that, that just mm. felt like a very nice little sort of staple of an achievement of something that I, that, that, uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting. That's fantastic. Congratulations, mate. And that is for uh, the, the, uh, the, the pickup driver, the pickup. Yes. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So I, I made, I made a short film called the pickup, which was, uh, funded and kind of, uh, um, so I guess it was like an ad campaign for three and a mobile phone company called Honor, and they got me to basically make a short film on their phone. And the the sort of sponsored part of it was them documenting me doing it. So they wanted to get a filmmaker to make something on a phone. 
And it was actually a really fun process. And it was interesting to kind of restrict, you know, everything down to just what's in your pocket and see if you can make something that way. Uh, And it's nice to be recognized, I suppose, for directing something that wasn't done on the proper the proper stuff, the proper gear, just to be sure <laughs> that, you know, you just look at it and you go, oh, okay, so the idea matters and how it's executed matters, not not just what camera it is and what lens it is and what, you know, that kind of thing. So that's very nice as well. It's a, it's a really it's a really great film. I mean, two things. First of all, if anyone wants to watch this, uh, there's a link to it at the top of uh, Jack's uh, Twitter, and I would suggest watching it. It's a uh, it's a fun like four four minutes, I think, and it's I think it's, it's two minutes. I think it's very short. Really? Oh wow! Really, you, you, you won't lose any time whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's great. It does not look like it was shot on a phone. Uh, that's the oh, other that's thing. cool to know. Yeah, it looks. Um, it looks fantastic. So, yeah, because I introduced you as a very talented writer and director, but I, I think you've said yourself that, you know, writing for you was always mm. a, a means to an end, and that end being directing. Correct, yeah. If I could work with a fantastic writer who would just hand me a script, mm. that would be the dream, and hopefully one day that is what will happen. I don't, you know, but, like, until that point, I will continue to just keep going through the horrid process that is like sitting alone and trying to churn something out. But yeah, that, that kind of like trying to get from to just to the directing, there's a poster behind me for anyone who's watching this. Uh, if you can watch it, I'm not sure if you can watch it. You can. Can you watch oh, you can. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. There's a poster behind me for Steven Soderbergh's uh, first film, sex lies and videotape. And he very famously said he wrote that just because he was like, I know no one's going to give me a directing gig. Um, and so I find him incredibly, obviously, inspiring. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of just doing the same thing. I'm just like, I'll churn away until somebody thinks I'm a good enough director to give their scripts to. I mean, it's weird that you mentioned uh, Steven Soderbergh, because, I mean, another thing that I know uh, you've done recently is uh, directing Nigel Ung's um, East Mode uh, series for, for Comedy Central, uh, where and I believe I am literally paraphrasing you here, where you said you, you got to flex your Soderbergh muscle uh, yes. One of those. Um, so, for anyone who doesn't know, it, it must have been as someone who wants to direct, just such a fun thing to do because you basically got to, you know, not parody but be influenced by so no, many right. different genres. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was my pitch of how I would direct the show. Is that I think a lot of sketch shows end up having a similar palette, and especially these days, there's like a comedy look. And so I was like, well, let's do each sketch as if it's taking place in a different genre with a different style, and that's always how I tried to approach the Jack and Dean stuff as well was like, okay, so this script is about this thing. So what style would be best to be influenced on this? What kind of camera work should we use? How should we, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so when doing Nigel Ong's East Mode, it was the same thing. And there is a, 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 a sketch called Asians 11, which was yep. Nigel's fantastic title um, that I was like, well, I've got to, I've got to just do Soderbergh. Um, and so it was, it was so much fun. And especially in the edit to to sort of put that together and use the music. And yeah, we did this whole bit at the end as well in a single take shot where it feels very chaotic. And it was just a very, very fun thing to sort of like do on the day. You could feel that everybody was really into it as well. And it, I mean, in terms of like flexing those muscles as well, I mean, I, I spent uh, I spent a, a large part of uh, the last couple of days going through all of them. Uh, when you enjoy your food too much, um, oh, that's mate. A- that's a great one. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one as well. You, you've obviously done your research, which is like weird for me because like this is not <laughs> usually how I'm like used to having conversations where people are like super aware of everything that's happened. But yeah, in that one, uh, there is a reference to 
Ratatouille, the, mm. the sort of famous synesthesia scene where when uh, Remy eats something, you see the sort of the shapes dancing on screen. Uh, and I just thought, why not reach out to the actual animator and see if he would like to reference his own work? And lo and behold, he said yes. In fact, he said he wouldn't want anyone else to do it. Um, and so, yeah, like that that reference in our sketch is from the guy who actually originally did it, which is so cool. That's incredible. So, I mean, what do, you, do I, I just, you know, do you just email them? Do you tweet them? Do you sort of go, look, hey, uh, I, I'm a fan of what you did in the in the vastly successful Pixar movie Ratatouille. I'm making, <laughs> I'm making something on a slightly smaller scale. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, would you Would you be interested? It wasn't far off from that. Like, I I followed him on Twitter just because I like to follow artists and just anybody who I think is like doing something interesting, and I just thought that that sketch would work so well doing a Ratatouille reference. And I thought we could easily just do it ourselves and and you'd know what we were doing, but why not go to the source? The worst he can say is no. Um, and he asked me for a Zoom call to talk about it. He had a BAFTA behind him. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a French-Canadian fella. Uh, lovely. His name is Michel Gondry. I think that's it. No, no, that's a very different person. Uh, Michel, I think I know. Michel Garnier. Michel uh, Garnier, there you yeah, go. Thank you yeah. so much for helping no me with that. They're obviously, very similar names. Uh, Michel, Michel Garnier, uh, and I told him about the idea, what we wanted to do, uh, and he he genuinely did say I wouldn't want anyone I want to wouldn't want anyone else to do it. Um, and yeah, he he was lovely and fast, and and was very collaborative. And he told me like little secrets about working with Michael Giacchino as well, about how Giacchino's work and his work kind of inspired each other back and forth. Mm. that he was animating to the music and then what he was animating inspired Giacchino to kind of slightly change the music. And it was kind of this kind of in sync collaboration between the two of them. So that was like lovely to hear about as well, just as a fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And it's, I mean, look, people can go and watch it. Uh, they're available everywhere. I mean, you can link to them through um, through Jack's uh, YouTube, but uh, when you enjoy your food too much, it's just such a, 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 a brilliant way of realizing ecstasy uh, on film because you know, like it, you know, film is obviously you know root one what root one stuff. It's a visual language, and yet just the expressiveness of that animation is just like it's pretty. It's pretty. Incredible. Thank you, mate. Yeah, I also just wanted to like because comedy obviously can very much ve veer into the sort of like the sexual, and when it can mm. get quite vulgar, I find that quite off-putting, and I've, mm. I've never been into that kind of humor, and so to kind of treat. Uh, that kind of humor with a bit more like, I don't know, like a cinematic kind of lens or like to not, to kind of go away from the vulgarness and into something different, I thought was, uh, yeah, more, more fun. Yeah, I, and I think that probably applies to to, to a, a lot of your work, certainly the, the, the videos that I've watched, because I think quite often people think, oh, it's comedy. So the the, the, humor, the humor is largely in a maybe a bit of visual comedy performed by the actors uh, or the dialogue. And so a lot of comedy, even feature films, are filmed in yep. such a flat manner. Um, whereas, you know, for want of a better example, you look at what Todd Phillips did with The Hangover, where it's like, well, this is a comedy, but I've shot this like yeah, it's a yeah, fucking yeah. drama. I remember like the beginning, the opening sequence, because I was quite young when The Hangover came out. So I was like, uh, not as aware of all of the behind the scenes stuff and you know who who does what and that that sort of stuff at the time but i remember that opening sequence set to that very slow song with just like shots of vegas and it doing like a very kind of like um slow paced opening sequence title sequence thing i was like oh this is not like the sort of like usual 
comedy opening sequence that you're used to seeing like yeah even that like felt like it was it was doing something different and it's not surprising that he went on to try his hand at like basically a Scorsese film (laughs) yeah of course Uh, of course a Scorsese film with a DC character that made over a billion dollars and you're like okay (laughs) why why not bloody hell Um, all right then Uh, Jack I'm very much looking forward to speaking of DC characters that made over a billion dollars (laughs) (laughs) right Jack you're now about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema you are our guide we are your audience Let's go on a trip to the movies. So, Jack, we push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz, as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. It's your perfect cinema trip, so who have you picked, living or dead, to take with you? So, who I've brought with me kind of... uh... It, it is linked to the film itself. Oh, so, okay. so are we? Oh, can we allow? Are we allowed to reveal the film that we're talking about first? Absolutely not, Jack. Absolutely <laughs> not. You, you can have your guess, and people can join the dots if they so wish or if they're able to. But right now, I do not want to hear about that film. I just want to hear about who you're taking with you. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Your rules. Um, I'm sorry I'm... to be so strict. I know I had to use <laughs> my, my dad voice there. It's, Felt uh, like but... I'm a student in school, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jack <laughs> Howard, what are you playing at? Um, so, no, just the person. Fair enough. Okay. I'm bringing Heath Ledger. Oh, okay. Yeah. The brilliant Heath Ledger. I'm sure uh, some people may already be joining the dots, but that's up to them. That's up to them. Uh, So uh, without revealing the film, uh, are there reasons that you can declare as to why you might take Heath Ledger or are they tied intrinsically to the movie? They are fairly, they're tied fairly intrinsically to the movie. Um, One of the reasons is he's never seen it. Um, So that would be that would be part of the reason why um mm. and i would just really like to ask so many things about it from his perspective i, I like what one of these uh, when i was thinking about these questions the first thing i thought of was about bringing the director of the film so i could ask ask him loads of questions but i've met him and i i don't think i won't not meet him again i've got just got a feeling i'll probably run into him at some other point but i'll never get to meet this person i never get to meet heath ledger so I would love to be able to ask him all the things that have been running around in my head since I was 16 years old and, and just, just you know, because there's, like, we missed everything from it. Like, we don't get, we didn't get any screen, like, any junkets, no interviews. There's one interview where he's talking about this role when he was doing a junket for a different film, and that's all we have, really, of him talking about it. So, yeah, I just, I would just love to have a conversation with him about all of it. Yeah, I think I, I think I remember that junket. I think that was that for the the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. I think that was no, no, because no, because he died before he finished making that film. So this oh, was cool. for a film called I'm Not There, where loads of different people played Bob Dylan. Yes, yes. No, is it called I'm Not There? What is, uh, is that? I, what it's called? I believe it is. I believe you're 100% correct. But let's both look like the professional film journalists we are and quickly head on to the resource, the uh, the, the, the pit of information. Yes, it is. It's called I'm Not There. 
where lots and lots of different actors uh, portray Bob Dylan. And the, I know the interview very well where he is talking about how he was relieved of of physically portraying him and like just having a you know a time of doing it and then somebody asked him about this role for this film being so vague even though everyone knows what it is um uh and he was like it's the most fun i've ever had probably ever will have playing a character and that's all we have really is him saying that and yeah it's depressing because it's like yeah yeah it is that was it that was it I can't help but feel that the trail of breadcrumbs that we intended to drop here have turned into a, a loaf. I've ruined your game. <laughs> <laughs> You've come here as an agent of chaos. What? <laughs> um, Introduce okay. a little anarchy. <laughs> uh, right, it's, it's now a loaf of bread wrapped in a poster for said movie. Let's <laughs> let's move away. Although I'm pretty sure everyone knows, but we'll we'll come to that eventually. It's it's going to be interesting interesting to talk about it so there's a clock on the wall in the foyer it reads a specific time jack what time of day have you gone to the cinema we're seeing it at 6 p.m i think 6 p.m is a very good time to see a movie because you can get you go dinner afterwards i think i think that we you and i we've been to a lot of screenings i have there are times where usually you'd have dinner and you Mm. have to kind of just throw in just crisps or whatever like before awful no Mm. I want to be able to watch the movie at a decent time to have dinner afterwards so I'm not too hungry. That's interesting. <laughs> it's a practical I, I, choice. So, I mean, so you're, I mean, we're going to get into the, the snack world. So you're going to the cinema at 6 p.m. on an empty stomach with the knowledge that afterwards <laughs> you're going to be eating dinner. Right. I Maybe we've had a late lunch. Oh, I, Okay. Okay, that's fine. Because <laughs> I'm just thinking most movies run to at least two hours now, if not two hours, yeah. 20 so you're not eating until I, I, about 8.30 at night by the yeah. time you, you've got out, which to me, and not to everyone, that feels like a late dinner. That feels like Maybe. You're, going, you're going to bed with a full stomach, which isn't advice. <laughs> Maybe I haven't thought this through. Maybe... Maybe we should have dinner at 6 p.m. and we should see the movie at 8.30. Now, to, to me, that feels like late. logic has emerged from its cocoon. But yeah, you're you're going to the cinema at 6 o'clock on an empty stomach on the promise of, of yeah. dinner afterwards. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Look, look I'm, I'm sticking with my mistake. Like, this is, this is where we are. Maybe I've made the mistake that all screenings make. I've just complained about it and done it myself. <laughs> Uh, so okay, so so potentially you know, at six pm. That's a, that's a busy time of uh, of cinema because uh, you know there are there are people who like a, an earlier screening. Some people go to the first screening of a day purely because mm. even for a, a new release, you're dealing with an empty cinema. You you like a crowd there? Oh yeah, like if it's a if it's a new release, especially like a one that I'm super super excited for, I will sometimes be like first screening that I can get to. Hmm. Um, if I haven't been lucky enough to be invited to something beforehand, which can happen, which is still a, a thing that I pinch myself about. But like, for example, when Tenet came out, which I was very excited about, and obviously it was the first film to be released uh, after the situation. Mm. And uh, I booked like a 10 a.m. screening for that. But usually I do love a crowd. Like we'll get to this later talking about like favorite cinema experiences, but they're always with a crowd. And, and when you can feel the kind of buzz and the electricity with everybody, you know, again, like you've been to these screenings, like when in the room for like in 2015, when the force awakens came out and, and the crowd was buzzing or like when Endgame and infinity war were coming out, like oh that God. kind of, that kind of buzz, mm-hmm. you can't, I mean, I saw infinity war at the, one of the first screenings 
that existed with a crowd that we couldn't wait. Uh, and then to contrast that, I couldn't go to one of the fan screenings of Endgame and had to see it at like 8am in a critics screening. And that was not the buzz. That was not that was not the vibe. That's not what everyone just sitting there with notepads is not yeah. how you want to see Endgame. <laughs> No, and a lot. Of, I remember that when I was, I, I, you know, and it, 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 you're absolutely right. There's such a different energy. So you get when you see it with a crowd, and especially when it isn't like, uh, let's call it what they are, event movies. I believe is the term. Although yeah. I'm, I'm not massively into that because I feel it somehow has been used in a derogatory manner for like, you know, huge. I movies. agree. But let's call it an event movie. But when you do see that, it's 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 a feeling in that room that is ir- irreplaceable elsewhere it's just like it's an electricity like people are just genuinely like you like the it's it's a mad thing and then you go to a critics thing and i genuinely from my experience of sitting in a critics uh, room i remember uh, uh, you know people it, it's almost a joke to be dismissive of uh, of mm. popcorn movies where i remember an unnamed critic will just say uh, once go wake me up when it's over and it's like great dickhead come on (laughs) people made this yep all right 6 p.m though you've committed now so committed right you booked the tickets for us very thank very we're very grateful so where have you chosen to sit in the auditorium we are about three or four rows from the back Mm. dead center I don't get people who want to sit on the aisles. Mm. Some people sit on the aisles because they're like, I might need to go to the toilet. No, there's no leaving. You don't leave. <laughs> you hold it, even if. <laughs> even, even, even if you start crying tears of urine, you are going <laughs> to... If it finds another way out of your body, osmotically, like, is that sweat? Because it smells very pungent. You are going to sit through the end. Have you, are you telling me that you can hold it? regardless of how badly you need the toilet. Because I, I can't. And so I'm an isler. Really? I'm an isler. I'm always on the aisle. because Really? Oh, that's where we differ, is it? Mm, it really is. I, I, can, I sprint. I, like, where I have social anxiety about like, shuffling past people on a row, I will, I, once I'm like, up, I'm sprinting to the toilet and back. I have no, no problem with people going, why is he running in the cinema? I'm like, because, because I, I want to miss as little of this film as possible. Yeah, I actually think that the first time you and I met in person mm. was, I think it was in the toilets before a screening of The Wolf of Wall Street, I think. It would have been, yeah, I went to a screening for that. That's, that could be very true. I think it was that. And we met in the toilets and both said, like, I hear it's nearly three hours long or something <laughs> like that. I think we both knew that, like, we had to, like, empty as much as possible before the film started. And I'm pretty sure that's when we first met <laughs> yeah. in person. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty good at holding it. And sometimes if the film is long, <laughs> this is me <laughs> talking about this detail, I will choose to not even get like a drink or something like that, even though I'll probably be like, oh, I'd love, you know, the, the experience of all of that is kind of having the, you know, the cherry Coke or whatever. But I'd rather just be like, no, like with the Batman, I was like, I'm not drinking anything. Like, there's, no, there's no way I'm missing a frame of this. Yeah, yeah, and it all, I guess it turns the whole experience into a much more holy experience because the cinema is our church, and you know, if you're sort of you're almost a monk-like existence, like I won't eat anything, I won't drink anything, <laughs> I will be I monk-like, just observe this film, this wor- and worship it. Yeah. Yes, no, you, it's not. I, I, yeah, I know we're kind of being a bit silly about that, but that is. 
Yeah, I I do agree, and I I remember again like you know, talk about lockdown quite a lot, but like mm. I remember the feeling of going back to it was like, oh wow, yeah, this again, and yeah, it's 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 very sad to hear so many conversations lately. You know, they've been going on for years now, but about the idea of like our cinema is going to last. Like, are, do people want to go anymore? You know, it's streaming versus cinema experience. For me it's not it's not a conversation it is it is like there's no there's no comparison to it and it upsets me even when like the smaller movies that will just have to find a home on a streaming service like the green knight when that that had like such a tight limited uh, run in the cinema and i didn't see it and then it was just like on amazon the next week and i was like that's just quite sad like i didn't get to like i don't know it just it just makes me just a bit sad yeah, I, I fundamentally agree with you. I mean, that's a great example as well because The Green Knight is such a visually, like, it's a feast. Like, the way, the and you way don't, it looks. It's so odd. It's so weird that you don't want to have to, you don't want to be in a room where you can, like, be distracted by something or your phone or, like, you know, oh, I'll pause it for a sec. You need to kind of be locked into the dark room and just have it happening to you. But when you just, when you have too much control in the space, the experience is not the same, no matter what people say like and you know i get i get why some people don't like it i think but there's something about like having it just in that confined dark space yeah it, there, there's no there's no comparison to it it doesn't it doesn't work at home i i i couldn't agree with you more i i i think i think like you know to uh, to to parrot what you're saying but it's the immersiveness it, it really is the immersiveness there are films that i have friends have, who've watched in the cinema and i think one example was roma uh, I know a lot mm. of people who saw that in its limited release at the cinema. I didn't get to see it. I watched it at home and I, I didn't love it. I didn't love it like these people who yeah. had seen it. And I know full well why. It's because I'm sitting on my sofa and I can see the washing up, the dogs there going, yo, feed me. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so distracted by a film that really just wanted to immerse me in 70s Mexico City. And if I'd been yeah. in the cinema, I'd have been transported there. But on my sofa, yeah. I'm not. In that, in that, that's a great example as well because it is the exact opposite of an event film where it's not grabbing your attention and it's not trying to keep you engaged. It's basically trying to set a tone and keep you in a in a mood and sort of take you on a little kind of soft journey. <laughs> well, there's not nothing soft about what happens in Roma, but <laughs> yeah. like that for a what it's setting a setting up a world, isn't it? And then taking you through the experience. And when you're at home, you're right. Like your actual real life can distract you from that. And that kind of experience is difficult to engage with in, you know, not to be like too like, oh internet bad, but like <laughs> your phone goes off and all of a sudden you're out of it and whatever. There's something as well about the kind of the social etiquette of being in a cinema Oh, I got so annoyed if somebody gets their phone out. I'm like, what are you doing? Like what are you doing? Or if someone's phone's even on loud i'm like and they've mistakenly like that you hear like a, a text go off or something like that i'm like how have you made this mistake and i think that that is that's part of it like there's no etiquette to being at home so there's no social contract that you're sort of buying into whereas at the cinema you know this is how i behave and we're all buying into that i yeah I, I, I was trying to come up with a solution to the, the phone thing in cinemas because I was thinking, look, other people like, because you sit there alone and sometimes if you're not someone who likes uh, confrontation or conflict or, you know, just doesn't have the confidence to go, mate, could you turn the bloody phone off the movie? Like, you know, there needs to be a democratic solution whereby we all have a button on our seats <laughs> and it tells us whoever we're, like where are the seats are occupied. And so you look at, on your little screen and it goes CE4 
is the guy on his phone. And if enough people press the button, you vote <laughs> them out of the cinema. And like, I thought you, know, you were going to do like a Mr. Burns-esque, he drops. Yeah, that's what happens. The floor opens up. They release the hounds. <laughs> they sucked down like Veruca Salt and into the swirl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so you're sitting. I That began uh, with where you booked the tickets. So you're sitting uh, dead center, three or four rows from the back at 6 p.m. with correct Ledger. So the air in the foyer before you enter the auditorium, the air in the foyer is full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available at various counters. What do you choose to eat? I am partial to a cinema hot dog, but I have said we're going to dinner after this. <laughs> but you have got an empty stomach, so I'm I'm, com- I'm confused. You are definitely, like, the smells of a cinema foyer, you know, they're mouth-watering without being, like, uh, empty of food. So you, you yeah. must be tempted by some of this. I am. And and before, I have, we have had dinner plans for after movies before, and a friend of mine has, like, come over with a hot dog covered in tomato sauce and mustard, and I've gone, oh, I'm getting one. I'm getting one. <laughs> um, so I am partial to that. I'm not committed, but if if if... The mood were to sway me, I might get a cinema hot dog. But my snack of choice are Revels, which I know are not everyone's taste, mm. but I absolutely love. Like the, the idea of somebody be like, oh, I don't like the coffee ones. Grow up. They're the best ones. <laughs> really? I, I mean, I, 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 then I need to grow up because it's, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's the Russian roulette of chocolatey snacks. It's I like, love it. Uh, I like every single one of them mm. as much as the next, which is why it's just like, for me, it's just like a little bag of heaven. Uh, I could uh, listen. I mean, this is your dream cinema trip, so I, I, I could. I you can, don't I have to have it. rebels. I'm, I'm, you're not even there. I'm not there. It's, it's <laughs> you and Heath Ledger. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I'm sort of standing with my face pressed up against the glass of the cinema, going, "I want to go." Oh, he's bought rebels. I don't want to go anymore. I'd only buy rebels if I was tired. Because I think, you know, the anxiety of which one might be coffee. Every time I pop one in my mouth, I'd be like, I'm awake. Oh, right, okay. right, yeah. right, right, right. I'm also very partial. Uh, I try not to anymore because I'll just wolf them down um, like it's nothing. The uh, the Haribo, I think they're called the Super Mix. Mm. The ones that, that aren't the traditional Haribos. I don't, I'm not that big of a fan of traditional Haribos. Mm. I think they're fine. But these ones have like the little men that are <laughs> that are quite juicy and then they have like these sweets that have got like jelly bits inside them they're, they're just very very tasty like I, i'm a big fan of those in the cinema as well yeah yeah i don't i don't know what the cinema versions are but for anyone who hasn't had those i guess round trees randoms are the closest example yeah they're very like, similar yeah. yeah where where it's sort of like you think oh, i've got a solid sweet here and you bite into them and sort of like liquid sugar just pops oh, into your mouth it's love it it's, it's an incredible whenever experience. i'm at the bfi imax that's that's what I'll go for. Uh, like I was watching June, just like just having a little <laughs> visual experience and a, and a sort of taste sensation going on at the same time. Oh yeah, it's like eating spice. It's <laughs> okay. So you having a hot dog and some revels, popcorn, <laughs> Jack, popcorn, sweet or salted? Are you ready for a controversial take? I am. I'm not going to have any popcorn. No popcorn. Do you know what? I, If I was going to have to choose one, it's not like I don't like it. Mm. I would have sweet, but I spend the whole rest of the film picking it out of my teeth. And that I've done that too many times now, and it's made the film unpleasant. So I'm like, I, I'm, I just refuse to have it now. I'm just like, no, it's just not going to be worth it. 
Oh, interesting. You see, yeah. here, we, we we disagree again here because I I take great pleasure in like what in the teeth picking <laughs> in the like honestly if like if the second half of June after I'm well finished my popcorn. <laughs> And like, I'm sort of like, got my little tongue, and then suddenly, the, oh, that was quite a big chunk. That actually felt like a solid bit of popcorn. Bit more. Like, yeah. You know, I'm keeping, my, I'm keeping my energy up here. Yeah. <laughs> and when you get to the when you get to the bottom of a popcorn box, and it's all the kernels of popcorn no. that pops, and you're just like crunching them between your teeth. Are you? Oh, no. That's like my worst nightmare. <laughs> like the, the thing I hate is that when I've had popcorn, and I get, and I get a kernel, and I go, ah, and I'm just like having to like suppress that whilst, you know, <laughs> while I'm watching Roma. And <laughs> okay, I, this is your dream cinema trip. I am not going to force you to have popcorn. You are having no popcorn. If, but if Heath wants popcorn, he can have popcorn. I'm not like Kermode, who thinks that popcorn should be banned, which I somewhat get the take because it's like the loudest of snacks mm. in a in a in a. Uh, in an auditorium that's designed for you to be listening and watching something. So I kind of get it, but Kermode's got a bit of a sort of vendetta against popcorn. <laughs> that's brilliant. Uh, I, I just, I love the idea of all the vendettas Kermode could have. It's popcorn. It's like, yeah. do you know what? I've, I've lived a long time and I've seen a lot of things, but the one thing that I just will not truck with and never will is popcorn. Yeah. I mean, surely if you're, if you're going to go to war with the cinema food, it has to be Doritos or the uh, the nachos. Surely they are a crunchier yeah. snack. And they are stinkier as well. Mm. If I if I do see people, with, I think people who get nachos in the cinema are brave because the the sort of the sauce that they give you, the dip in the dark is like, that, that's a lot of, you've got a lot of trust in yourself. Are you wearing a t-shirt you don't like? Because like... <laughs> It's going to be gone by the end of this. Yeah, you watch couples who are on dates go into the cinema, and he looks like the bee's knees because he's like he's done himself up. He's got a clean t-shirt on. He's trying he, hard. He comes out two hours later, soaked in cheese sauce, <laughs> like, soaked in salsa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right then. So we are now leaving the foyer, and we are going to walk down the corridor towards the auditorium. Posters along the cinema wall illustrate some of your most important movie memories. The first poster depicts your fondest movie memory. What is it? So um, the reason why I sort of got into cinema and things like that in the first place, me and my dad used to go all the time. So I have just like a lot of fond memories of going with my dad like every week. It was just like our place that we went together. Um, seeing Casino Royale, I'm a big James Bond fan, and seeing Casino Royale for the first time together and him, like the middle back thing I was telling you about, like he like taught me the rule basically of just like when everyone gets in, this was before like assigned seating. He was like, everyone's going to get in and look around and go, where should we sit? Where should we sit? Jack, you just middle back. We just go. And he was right. Like everyone gets in, just looks around. Oh, where should, oh, where should we yeah, just go? Um, and so like he, he, like that kind of experience of like going with him and him like him and I like learning the cinema together. Like he took me to see The Lion King when I was uh like five years old or something like that when it came out maybe i was even younger but um yeah like doing that with him so this is leading me to uh being able to take my dad to both the specter and the no time to die world premieres oh, like wow. that just kind of paying that back was was very very like special to me that's amazing. So I, I, I certainly know no time to die. I believe I was on the red carpet for no time to die. So that was at the was that that was at the Royal Albert Hall, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, both of well? them at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, yeah. And it was nice to be able to do it because Spectre was maybe the better premiere 
Mm. because we we knew somebody on the sony team in the kind of a socials team that just sort of let us stand with them for because obviously everyone's like when you're on a red carpet for people who haven't done it <laughs> Dar- darling, you're just like tell me about yeah it. you're just ushered like it's not glamorous like you're just <laughs> ushered through it's so like true. it's just like move get going don't stay, stop taking selfies go it's like it's not it's chaos and with this, we knew somebody, so they just let us stand with that team, and we just watched. Like, my dad saw Shirley Bassey, and like we just like just Judy Dench, like just everybody just sort of like going past, and that was pretty cool. Um, and then yeah, the No Time to Die one was better because the film's better. <laughs> uh, oh, brilliant! Okay, so the poster that is going up that depicts your fondest movie memory is the poster for No Time to Die. Um, just while we're here, as an aside, uh, who's your call for next Bond? Oh, I have a I have a different theory. I don't know. I don't know about like next Bond, but um, I've seen Aaron Taylor Johnson's name getting banded around, which I don't dislike because I think he's a fantastic actor. Don't know whether or not he'd do it because he seems in the way that I don't know that people keep calling um, Tom Hardy or um, Tom Hiddleston. And I'm like, I just don't think they need to do Bond. Mm. I don't think they need that. Yeah. Aaron Taylor Johnson maybe does need a franchise under his belt if he wants to be like a big Hollywood star. Mm. So I can see that. But my theory is not something I love as an idea, but because Bond follows trends and that's what it always kind of does. It sort of just reflects cinema back at itself and does it in a Bond way. My pitch, my sort of prediction is that Pierce Brosnan will be back and they'll they'll finally do the theory that no one's ever seen before that's always been banded around that James Bond is the code name and they're going to do that like almost like a version of their like multiverse kind of like bond but it will be like Pierce Brosnan meeting the new bond and doing that kind of Blade Runner 2049 I had your job and I was good at it I think that is what Bond will end up doing because they of the reflection of the multiverse trend they'll have to like have bonds meeting bonds and maybe even Timothy Dalton will show up who knows that's that is an incredible hot take. I really yeah. like it. I really, I do you? I, yeah. I really like it, and I haven't. Like, I, there's that. part of me that hates it. There's part of me that like goes no, but then there's also part of me that like, if I saw Pierce Brosnan as like a Bond again, I'd be like, yeah, now I'm into this. Interesting. Well, it puts to shame. It puts to shame my theory, which is very Go on. Root, my my theory is just a root one theory. Like if um, you know, if Craig was uh, erred on the more Sean Connery side of, of Bond mm. because of, of his his quite brutal, he had Connery sort of like, mm, like you know, like there was a yeah, a, the umph, uh, the, the masculine yeah, sort of yes. like the muscle and the that's right, yeah, the, the brutality machismo. and yeah. Uh, and not to do a disservice to this man's machismo because I'm sure he's got it in spades, but I do think we, if he was Sean Connery, if Craig was Sean Connery, we need uh, the more era to come back, the slight little wink of the eye, the nod, a little bit of fun put back into Bond, especially after like how serious No Time to Die was. So my vote mm. of the person who I think can, who could do that more is, and he's, his name has been mentioned, it's not going to be new news to anyone, it's Cavill, and it will always be Cavill. Henry Cavill is is my is my next bond because he's I'd be so I honestly would be so disappointed. Really? I think I think I think he'd be I think he'd be such a safe generic choice. Mm. I think he just I think people are banding his name around because he does look like James Bond. Yeah. And he looks like the way that like he looks like the way like Pierce Brosnan to me looks like James Bond. Mm. Craig never like in my mind looks the way that Bond looks. He is James Bond, mm. but he doesn't look the way that I'm imagining James Bond looks, which mm. is fine. I think Cavill I also think Cavill's way better at playing villains 
than he is. And actually, it's interesting as well, isn't it? Because um, Matthew Vaughan did Layer Cake with Daniel Craig before he was cast as Bond. That's the, that's and, the movie that got him Bond, I think, pretty much. Yeah, that, that was and his now, like, audition, yeah. Now, Matthew Vaughan is doing a film called Argyle, starring Henry Cavill, which is a spy movie. So he's basically doing the same thing. He's just going, I'm going to cast him as James Bond before you do. Like, he's yeah. he's cast Henry Cavill in that kind of spy. I've not seen anything from it yet. There's no real footage that's been released. But yeah, that's be interesting if he... Matthew Vaughan is always like the gate way to an actor being cast as James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, and just to put a button on this, I do think you're right. I was just thinking when you were like, I think Cavill is better at playing a villain. I'm like, is he? And then I just remembered like Fallout is possibly his best role because he's so without a doubt awful in it. Yeah, because he can play the charmer, but he's got like the dark darkness to him. Mm. And maybe he could bring that to Bond. But then again, if you're saying that you think you'd like to see him do a bit of like a cheekiness to it. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I don't. This is the thing is that I don't know how, what what do you do next with James Bond? Like, what do you do to ref, to make it refreshed again? Because you can't do more of the Craig stuff. You're right. Mm. You can't go the more gritty kind of stuff. Do they go the Marvel route and make it like more fun and silly and jokey and kind of aware of itself? Maybe that's mm. what they'll do. Uh, well, we've certainly given people food for thought regarding Bond there. So let's move on to the second poster. I'm putting up No Time to Die. Our second poster, however, depicts your worst <laughs> movie memory. What is your worst movie memory? This one's easy. It's Suicide Squad. Right. Obviously, there's two Suicide Squads we could be talking talking about, but you've said Suicide Squad, so I'm guessing that Not David... Not the Suicide right. Squad, which was pretty, pretty good. Yep. Suicide Squad is undoubtedly the worst film I've ever seen. It is uh, I mean, let's shockingly call, awful. Let's call it what it is. You're talking about Oscar-winning film, Suicide <laughs> Squad. I do, I, do, I do believe it has an Oscar. Yeah, uh, for, uh, for costume? I think hair and makeable costume. Hair, costume. hair and makeable costume, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, it was awful. So I, I was... Um, this is quite funny. I was at the premiere for Suicide Squad, and um, when we were inside in the Odeon... Looking at the screen, what they'll do a lot of the time is they'll show you the sort of uh, the camera, what's happening on the red carpet. I'm sure you, you you might have been hosting it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I did that one. No, but so you can feel feel free to go to town. Don't don't. Oh no, it's nothing to do with the host. I didn't I didn't know whether or not like you were aware of what what happened. I just didn't know whether that you would have seen this from the outside. But essentially, what they're doing is they're showing you what's happening on the red carpet in the cinema before mm. everybody comes in before the cast go. We hope you like the movie. And David Ayer came on stage and was like, "This is the director's." And then later, when his contract was up and he was upset with the response, he went, they made me do it. Uh, um, but when we were watching the red carpet inside, Will Smith had the microphone and it was a fairly directional microphone, right? Mm. So he was like, when I say suicide, you say squad, suicide, squad, suicide, squad. Mm. But because of the directional nature of the microphone, we could only hear Will Smith. <laughs> so it was just Will Smith going, suicide. Suicide, suicide, and it was like, oh, this is that's hilarious. That's that's so funny. Um, yeah, but then the film, I just remember watching it in just stern kind of silence and almost in disbelief of what I was watching. And then when I got out of the cinema, <laughs> my girlfriend turned to me and was like, "Are you?" I'd been silent, and she was like, "Are you okay?" And then it just all rumbled up in me, and it just came out as just like just fiery kind of rage about like how god awful that all was uh, and what an insult it kind of was especially 
you know, which is kind of relevant to what we're talking about, then the the next actor to have played the character that, uh, yeah, 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 again, yeah. I'm being vague, <laughs> but, yeah, 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 like seeing it like that, and like, and, and only not even ten years after the fact, and just the mess of the film, the, the the editing of it, and for people who don't know, I think it's pretty well known now. It was edited by a trailer house mm. because the trailer did really well, and so they were like worried about the movie, and they clearly wanted it. To, I mean, I sometimes go back and watch the original Comic Con trailer that they released that was set to. Um, uh, I started a joke. It started no, the whole, whole world, world laughing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. They, said, they did that, and it's like this very dark tones kind of. Oh, this is. And then they did the the Queen trailer, mm. and it was all like bright and clearly like Guardians of the Galaxy had come out, and they were like, "We want that actually." Yeah. So, can you make it that we didn't make that? Yeah, but you, you know, do do put some colours on I've, it. I've heard a movie's made in the edit, so uh, yeah. <laughs> make, make it Fix in, it the in post. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that that was god awful. Yeah, just just a chore, an absolute chore. Um, right then, well, the poster for Suicide Squad is going up as your worst movie memory. Ugh. So, I can't believe we're putting it up. Yeah, I mean, people may hurry past it. It'll get people to the auditorium <laughs> quicker. Our third Why poster. is Suicide Squad next to No Time to Die? Well, <laughs> Jack Howard. <laughs> yeah. So, the third poster that's going up depicts the last performance that brought you to tears. Again, like behind me, I have a poster for Noah Bumbach's film Story. Marriage Story. Yeah. Um and it's it's it, that film was uh fairly important to me when I saw it. I was in a pretty sad place. Uh and I saw it in Los Angeles in the Vista Theater, which is a beautiful like one screen theater. It was playing it on I think 35 mil. I think it was playing it on proper film. So it was a very like it felt like a film that already existed and I was seeing it for the first time. It was a very beautiful experience and Adam Driver's I think both Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson's performances are like the best of their careers. But Adam Driver's like final moment when he gets to read the letter that she'd written about him that she refused to read at the beginning of the film. And the way that he's like holding his tears in his throat, like you can like feel that it's like, and he's like shaking with emotion. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I was in floods when I was watching that. That screaming match is the scene that I remember that they have when mm. he, I think he visits her and like they have this huge row. Yeah. And there are there are only a handful of rows, I think, genuine rows in dramas where you're like, that's that's so real that it's actually almost like I'm so accustomed to movie rows that to see yes. what is actually a real row put on film, like it was mm-hmm. it, it just it's a, it really fucking for whatever yeah. cliche. That scene has obviously become a bit of a meme lately. Like people have memed it um to death, the, especially the sort of <laughs> You know the bit when he punches the wall and like, and people have changed what he says, and they're all very funny. But you're right. I mean, it's just clearly human beings' way of dealing with the fact that this is uncomfortable. Let's make a joke out of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I agree with you. Like that scene, I was like, oh, I've had that argument. I've done those things. I've said horrid things like that, and like the complicatedness of that's not a word, but like the um, <laughs> the sort of the complicated nature of how they're being so toxic with each other. But then there's a moment when she comforts him after something horrific that he's done and said, like, it's all just like, it feels like how reality can be sometimes, which is just like a horrible mess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is the third movie poster and that is Marriage Story. I'm putting that up on the wall. So we've got No Time to Die, Suicide Squad, a Marriage Story. I love it. Our final poster Ugh. depicts 
your unpopular movie opinion. <sighs> okay. I think that The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is more fun to watch than any of the MCU Spider-Man films. <laughs> oh, I love it. That is an unpopular <laughs> opinion. Um, yeah. Please uh, uh, elaborate because I, all I, every time I close my eyes and think about that, all I see is Paul Giamatti, the legend Paul Giamatti, doing some some sort of bastardized Eastern European Russian yeah. accent. It, and yep. like you're sort of if a movie can make Paul Giamatti not good, then what the yep. fuck am I watching? Do you know recently I saw somebody um discussing this sort of rediscovery of um Die Another Day mm. and how that is obviously a terrible James Bond film, but watching it knowing that it is just like a load of fun and it is just very silly and like who cares? And I came out having a great time. Now that there's no weight behind the amazing Spider-Man 2. I mean, first of all, Andrew Garfield is the best Spider-Man. Like, he is just the best actor. He's like above, like when he was in uh, No Way Home, it was like, oh, he's dancing circles around everybody. Like, he's so good. Um, and he just never got a chance to like be, like just like the, the, the films let him down. But when you watch The Amazing Spider-Man 2 now, it's a big cartoon. And it's made by Mark Webb, who I think is an incredible filmmaker, who makes some very like good directing choices like throughout like the way he captures things like for example even on a small scale the beginning sequence which i think is so fun when spider-man's doing a uh you know trying to stop paul giamatti from stealing something yeah. uh instead of being at his graduation when spider-man eventually gets to his graduation first of all they've got that incredible sort of bit when he like swings into a thing and then comes out wearing his graduation uniform, but he's still wearing the mask. Great joke, very yeah. cartoony. But then there's a scene that he has afterwards with Aunt May, which is shot very, 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 very long lens. And just watching Sally Field and Andrew Garfield be aunt and nephew with each other is, um, it feels real because you're, because of this long lens sort of way of like capturing it, it feels like you're spying in on these like real people. And because they're not very aware of where the camera is or what it's capturing, you can feel like they are behaving more naturally. And it's things like that, that feel to me way more like purposeful in terms of like knowing what the story's about, even though the story is fucking nonsense <laughs> it is ridiculous i need i need spider-man's blood sure fucking hell like, i'm not i'm not defending some of the like choices of the story in it but the way that the movie is made and the experience of watching it is so so fun and yeah and then i think comparing it to which i think is the worst spider-man film ever is far from home which i think is so bad and doesn't get spider-man right and there's also this conversation happening about spider-man as well by mcu spider-man not really having the core kind of characteristics of what Spider-Man is, which is just a kid who's trying to make it on his own. And it's taken us three movies to get him to that place now because yeah. he could always turn to my billionaire friend, Tony Stark. Can I have some magic glasses, please? Like, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and in that film, there are scenes in it where it feels like the film has forgotten that Spider-Man and Peter Parker are the main character. The scenes where, like, Spider-Man's just wandering through the background. And I, when I've, whenever I watch The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I just laugh and have fun. And it's one that I'd prefer to watch with friends because you can kind of make fun of it as well as enjoying some of the moments. Yeah, I think it's just way more fun to watch than, than MCU Spider-Man. 
Wow. 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 And I, there you there, go. <laughs> there, look, there is a, there is a part of that, that I really agree with, which I do. I do fundamentally think that uh, that Andrew Garfield probably is the the, the best Spider Man we've ever seen. It's even in the in the first uh, Amazing Spider Man movie, which you know, I mean, look, no one. It's 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 like how many times have we seen Bruce Wayne's parents die yeah. on film? How many times have we it was seen... too soon to reboot the full oh, like, the gosh. origin story exactly, and to do it basically the same when they called it like the tagline for it was the untold story which part <laughs> but the bit where it's just the way i think he's talking to the first thief that he stops in the car and the way yeah, he yeah. moves his physicality is like that's yeah he's kind of jelliness yeah <laughs> i was yeah. like wow that's great you know if you want to you want to steal cars don't dress like a car thief <laughs> that's man. it that's like, it's so good yeah <laughs> all right then going up as our final poster is the amazing spider-man <laughs> Two is this wall best. is chaos. <laughs> <laughs> right. We've arrived at the last set of doors. Now, there's a queue of people hoping to join you in the auditorium, but this is your perfect night out. Do you want an auditorium full of yourself, Heath Ledger and other people, or are you going to turn them away at the final hurdle? So it's either me and Heath Ledger alone, mm. or it's an auditorium full of people also watching this film. Exactly. Oh, mate, the auditorium's full. Brilliant. The crowd go wild. They're entering the cinema. <laughs> Although that would be so funny. Like I'm walking there with Heath Ledger, who's been dead for about 14 years. Yep. And then I'm like, no, no, no. Just me and him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I have come from Chichester for this, and that's uh, I, I, I really was told I'd be allowed to sit in there with before the movie begins. And it's the best thing about going to the cinema. And that's the trailers. So we are going to play the trailer for the film that you are most looking forward to. What is it? It's got to be Lyle Lyle Crocodile. <laughs> I'm joking. No. Uh, have, you even, have you even heard of Lyle Lyle Crocodile? Did you, did you, it, it happened. It was a micro. It was a micro expression where terror and then you go it doesn't matter you don't oh, no, that might be it that no that might be it he might be he might, he might not be he might be serious yep. <laughs> so lyle lyle Co crocodile is what yeah, exactly no. okay lyle lyle crocodile is not my answer i just thought you'd be like what I um, did. I lyle lyle crocodile is is a film that somehow has been made about an animated crocodile i think it's based on i can't believe i'm talking about this it was supposed to just be a joke <laughs> and javier bardem is in it uh, and it's just like an animated crocodile voiced by, I believe, Sean Mendes. And I can't believe it exists. I just look at it and I was like, this, 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 not, this is not just like my dream. This is just like a real thing that someone decided to make. Um, be no, it won't be that. Okay, my actual most anticipated movie at the moment is Glass Onion, the, the Knives oh, Out sequel. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing if you're excited about this one, you love the original. I did really like the original. I was very, very... Uh, surprised and delighted by it i think it's a really interesting take on the murder mystery thing where the whole twist on it is that you think you're with the murderer the whole time mm. the accidental murderer and then the twist in it is that she didn't she didn't kill him actually and it could have been saved and uh yeah i thought that was all very very good i think there is like flaws in it there is like I'm, I've got a very good ear for picking up dubbing. I don't know if you have this as well, where you can just tell when lines have been dubbed in. Yeah, yeah And there's yeah. so many in Knives Out, it really kind of bothers me. Yeah, I watched... Um, I never got around to it when it first came out, so I watched The Lost City, the Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum movie, <gasps> and I couldn't help but notice. <sighs> so what happens is a scene will end uh, where you can see them, close-ups, uh, and they've done, they've done some funnies, 
uh, and then it'll cut to a wide shot and there'll be about six more lines of dialogue from yeah. a distance where you've got this. We need to punch up the humor, but we obviously don't have yep. to, We didn't do it on the day. So it's just this crazy wide shot where you're like, and here's another funny and here's another funny. Yeah. and Here's another funny. You're like, do one. Don't do six. Because people are yeah, like, I remember that. <laughs> I remember the exact same. I did see it in the cinema when I was in New York because it was either that or Morbius. And I was like, I'm not seeing Morbius. I'm not doing it. And so we saw The Lost City, which I was like, this could, could be fun. And it, it wasn't. Um, and yeah, yeah, it, yeah, there was very obvious dubbing in that as well. I agree. I remember that now that you've mentioned it. Oh, that's interesting that you um you've picked the the glass onion. You know, I, I because we were only because we were talking about Bond earlier and No Time to Die, and obviously mm. the end of uh, Craig's tenure as uh, as 007. And I, I do I, for me, it's one of the most exciting things that he is now you know free to do things like Knives Out uh, because you know I, I I think two of the most exciting things he's done was uh, Logan Lucky and Knives Out. I love that film because the man is so funny when he does comedy. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I love I love Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky is one of those like put it on. I try and save it because it's one of those films that I like can put on whenever I'm like I'm not sure what I'm in the mood for. Put Logan Lucky on. It's the, it's that Soderbergh thing. It's the same as Ocean's Eleven. Like I can I can just put it on and really really enjoy it. And I love the scene when Channing Tatum and Adam Driver go to see him in the prison for the first time, and he's like, "We want you to do a job," and he's like, "I am." incarcerated <laughs> yeah 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 you 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 uh logans are as, as simple as people say people say that <laughs> so good so yeah, good it's great yeah and he's always doing this like southern american thing now in his movies well, i don't know what that's about you know it's it works though it's like if that if if that is the accent that you need to tap into to do funny i, I i'm i'm great yeah. because benoit blanc is one of the great creations in, in, in it really memory. is. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, and I'm I'm hearing as well people saying like you know the, the response has been very good, and some of the response has been that it's even better than the first one, and I I'm super into that. I'm super into that. Uh, I, I'm excited to see Ryan Johnson. I think I think he's very good. I'm a Last Jedi fan as well. Like you know, I I wouldn't count myself as like. Uh, I'm not like an original Star Wars fan. I wasn't huge on it when I was a kid. Mm. So I, I'm definitely coming at it from more of an outsider's point of view. But I think what he did with that and what he does with all of his movies, I don't think any of the films of, of his are like perfect. I think I like, I love Looper, but like there's bits where in that where like he kind of gets lost in his own timeline mm. and, and his own logic. Um, but his all of his ideas and, and, and how he executes them and his ambition and his, his his sort of filmmaking skill, I just think he's always somebody I'll I'll watch. I'll definitely watch anything he makes. Uh, I saw actually you put uh, just one other movie that I I, I want to mention because I saw that you tweeted its its trailer the other day and you were like, "This mm. looks mad but brilliant." Um, flipping heck, the trailer for Babylon. I've not been smacked yeah. around the head in ages. <laughs> Yeah, like what's the film going to be like? Holy shit. Like it looks like uh, everybody's kind of making these comparisons, but it looks like a combination of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Like it looks bonkers. And when I was hearing that Damien Chazelle was going to be making a 20s Hollywood sort of era film, I was like, all right, I've got my expectations of what that might look like. He's an elegant filmmaker. Yeah. And this, you know, there's elegance to the filmmaking, but it does not look like what I expected at all. It looks like craziness. Fucking mental, like coke yeah. snorting, like fucking gun. Like literally the, the logo stars disappear on the Paramount logo to Margot Robbie sniffing coke. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great trailer. I mean, it's going to be an interesting, you know, it's one of those things because obviously the Oscars every year, it's like, you know, you start going, mm. right, we're in Oscar season now as we're talking about this. It's like, 
you know, the movies are starting to come out and you're like, well, where's it going to land? Because obviously I watched them back to back and you watch Babylon and then you watch the Fablemans and you're like, well, shit, you've got a movie. Like yeah. Hollywood loves a movie about Hollywood. They love a movie about themselves. So you've got 1920s Hollywood directed yeah. by Damien Chazelle. And then you've got Spielberg making a movie because the other thing Hollywood loves is movies about fucking filmmaking and it's Spielberg yeah. doing an autobiographical story. So you're like, what is going I mean, I say I this without having seen the movies, but I think those two, you've got to look at it and go, they are up there. They're, they're going to be neck and neck. I also like, yeah, it's very nice to see Spielberg. If anybody is allowed to make a sort of autobiographical film about how they became a filmmaker and, and you know, and that being kind of nostalgic and kind of layered with lots and lots of self-importance, I guess, mm. it's Steven Spielberg. And, I, and I'm so pleased that he's actually doing that. I'm very interested in seeing it. Um, and you're right. And yet there's something in me that can't shake the idea that actually the Oscars might be dominated by a film that's already come and gone. That is everybody's in everyone's top five, at least of this year. And okay. a lot of people's favorite, which is everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. Yeah. What, 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 what do you say about the movie that hasn't already been said? But yeah, it's, um, I know it's just one of those movies that, you know, my mate watched it for the first time yesterday, which is why it's fresh in my head. And he just literally said, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Yeah. And that's it. It's, it is, it took such a big swing and they don't all connect and some, but some bits don't quite work, but they're like such minor little things. Like, Oh, I'm not quite sure. If, oh, they didn't have to do that so many times or whatever. In terms of like it as a thing, it is like one of the most magnificent experiences and profound experiences I've ever had in the cinema. Yeah. Ha. Huh. It is that moment. The breadcrumbs were left earlier. It is time to announce <laughs> to our excited audience in this packed auditorium, including Heath Ledger, the movie you have picked for us to watch tonight. I like that earlier you were like, this is no longer breadcrumbs. It's just a loaf of bread. <laughs> um, we're obviously watching The Dark Knight. So this is so weird because I watched this completely by chance three nights ago for like the umpteenth time. Um, so I was just like, uh, that was the Jurassic Park theme going off on my phone, by the way, just because I... Is that your ringtone? <laughs> my ringtone, uh, which is my phone. Love it. It was an alarm. My phone's on silent. I'm a professional. We're not actually in a cinema, but if we were, I would have been... <laughs> oh, my offended. God. I'd be sucked down into the tube below my seat. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Everyone pressed the button. So, yeah, by complete chance, I... Um, I watched this like a few nights ago, so it is so fresh in my mind. But tell me why you are picking it. Well, like I think I said this to you uh, when I told you I was picking it. I I tried to resist picking it and pick something else because I thought it was like an obvious, you know, like you say, it's an event film and everyone knows it. And I just wanted to pick something more interesting in a way, I suppose. But when I thought about it, I was like, if I get a chance to go to the cinema and see, pick one movie that I love, the one that I will always jump at the chance to see is The Dark Knight. And actually, we've talked about the pandemic quite a lot. Mm. When there were no new films coming out, but cinemas were reopening and sort of putting on movies, I, the first film I went back to see was when they showed The Dark Knight in IMAX. Mm. Um, so that was like my return back to the cinema as well. But also I saw it at a really kind of important time. It came out when I was 16. So it kind of shaped... Like the way I, like, you know, before that, movies, I was just sort of kind of getting into, into 
into movies and, and the idea of being a filmmaker and I think doing that kind of stuff. And this kind of showed me, oh, that's, that's what you can do that mm. with movies. Like movies can be this. And then following that, obviously two years later with Inception, like just like Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker just kind of shaped what I think like the rhythm of films and like the sound of it, like all of that kind of stuff. It, it just kind of shaped my taste. I mean, like to talk about sort of the fact that you've brought Heath Ledger to watch mm-hmm. this with him and you touched on this at the start and it, it is amazing because there are, there are well, there were so many um, theories, let's call them uh, around, you know, the time of his death and like the, 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 the linking of this performance yeah. uh, of the Joker, you know, and because of the character and the legacy of the character, people like it, it, it broke him. And that was, you know, that's, mm. that's what happened. And the idea of being able to hear him talk through it, I imagine it would be like, is a reason to take him. Totally, yeah. I, I'd, I'd like to hear all about that. We know about the legend of it. It's, it has become mythologized about him going and locking himself away for a month in a hotel room to keep a diary and or in the character of the Joker and practicing the laughs and, and all that kind of stuff, like figuring out the mannerisms. There was a documentary that came out a couple of years ago. I think it's called I Am Heath Ledger. I think that's what it's called. And his mate gives an interview, just as a friend of Heath Ledger's, like not a famous person, and talking to him about the Joker and, and just saying like, hey, do I, you know, what are you, you, you going to show me anything? Or you got, you figured it out? And Heath was always very kind of like kept himself to himself kind of thing. And apparently at one point he did just grab his friend and do the, do you want to know how I got these scars thing? And his friend was like, whoa. And, he, and like, so he just like showed him how he cracked it. Um, but I think he also talks about the fact that, again, in this documentary, that Heath felt like he'd got something. Like he, like he, he was like, "I'm on." I've, I've. Like I think he'd done the inter. I think the interrogation scene, which is obviously one of the best scenes I think ever, but in the movie, um, I think he did that first. I think it was the first scene he did as the Joker, and just being opposite. And he was when he was in it, he was like, "I think I've got something." So yeah, like having. Heath Ledger there and talking about it. And even just him just being like, oh, they went with that take. Or like, you know, <laughs> just, the, the, just the idea of like, just being able to like kind of break it down with him. Like, I just love to, you know, just the opportunity to be able to discuss something that has become such a mystery. Mm. And I have a comparison as well that Heath Ledger's Joker and Johnny Depp's Jack Sparrow are fairly kind of similar in terms of like the impact they made, like people did impressions and like the voice is very iconic and the way his mannerisms are like, like, you know, Johnny Depp's kind of like drunken kind of walk and uh, Heath Ledger's like licking of the lips. And the fact that they're both based on rock stars as well. Like, like um, who did Jack Sparrow get based Keith uh, on? Um, Keith Richards. Yeah. And, and like, and like the Joker is, you know, there's obviously bits of um, kind of Kurt Cobain, punky kind of stuff, but the voice is very, um, tom waits Mm. uh there's a really really interesting interview where tom waits is clearly like a bit out of it i don't know what he's on but he's in an interview and he's got a cigarette and he's all kind of like he's all kind of tied together and he's got that kind of same raspy squeaky kind of joker voice and there's even a bit in the interview where tom waits says the same sentence with the same intonation as heath ledger's joker you know the bit when uh he's like um, I enjoy gunpowder and dynamite. Like, yeah, there's a bit when he, when uh, uh, when Tom Waits is in an interview and he's like, "I enjoy," uh, and I was like watching that and I was like, "Holy shit, that's it!" <laughs> like, uh, so I'd, I'd like to be able to talk to Heath and be like, 
what did you like where did you get it from like, well that, and and actually comparing it back to jack sparrow the fact that what happened is that that supporting role was so popular and it was oscar nominated that they went well more of that mm. more of that when actually jack sparrow was a massive accident and they wrote it to be like han solo and then johnny depp played it like a rock star and actually the disney execs famously again were like what's he doing change mm. this and then because everyone loved it it became like the leading part of the franchise and it's literally now like one of the most famous roles in history and he's done it so much now that actually it kind of killed it it kind of killed the specialness of it yeah and so the idea that if heath ledger had lived i think that is kind of maybe what could have happened to heath ledger's joker when actually what we have is about 40 minutes of just there it is, as it will only ever be, and you'll never have any more of it. So it's very conflicting of like, I do believe that he probably would have done more, and The Dark Knight Rises would have been a different film, like all of this sort of stuff. So it's it's very interesting to kind of think about how he left that legacy, and want, we wanted more of it, and we and I crave more information, and I want to know, you know, I want to see all the takes that didn't make it, and all the v- different versions of scenes. But actually, there's something beautiful about the fact that it only exists like that. Yeah, you, uh, <laughs> you, uh, well, I was going to bastardize a line for the movie that felt appropriate in that moment, which is that you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And it's, you're dead right. You're dead right. It's that, isn't it? It's like, yeah, and I, I think I think you're right. I think, you know, like you just said, um, any studio is like, people love him, more of that, please. And um, yeah. and he defeated And we can see it's happened. It's happened, mm-hmm. like, without Heath Ledger. Like, the Joker in 2008, and, and for a few years, it was, it was, like, funny how much people were obsessed with it, myself included, but now it's become this kind of thing within Hollywood that's almost like, I mean... The, the thing about the heat, uh, the, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker film is that people are like, oh God. And it's become this thing now about basically like, oh, it's the birth of a serial killer. And we're seeing like the, the sort of almost like none, none of the nuance in it and none of the mystery in it. And we're just seeing like, here's the reasons why he is like that. And I think that there's something about that that makes me just go, ah, it doesn't feel like the Joker to me. Mm. The reason why I think the Joker works so well in The Dark Knight and again, this is something that's been discussed so many times, is just because he is the polar opposite thing to Batman. And in the movie, he is a representation of Bruce Wayne and and Batman's like shadow self in the psyche. Like he literally says things to Batman that are like his worst fears that he like, has in the back of his mind. That you're a freak like me and, you know, saying all the things that that that, that Bruce Wayne fears he could be. Mm. And yeah, I think that's the reason why it works so well, because he's like a force of nature, whereas seeing him just be like any other serial killer or, you know, whatever they're doing with him now is just just doesn't feel like it's hitting the same thing. Yeah, you don't want too much. I mean, look, it's a, it's a, it's a cliche, but you don't want too much of a good thing. And like to use your Jack Sparrow mm. example, it's like Jack Sparrow, you know, however Johnny Depp played him, he was still a supporting character. And then as yep. the series went on, they gradually moved him into this central role. I think by, by Stranger Tides, it was like he was the lead. And it was like, no one wants that Jack Sparrow. We don't want Jack to have the romance. We don't want Jack to have that. Jack is funny because he's just sort of like, he wanders in and out of the story as he sees fit. And yep. and it's never about him, but, you know, obviously, you know. He's- exactly, yeah. And and with with Heath Ledger's Joker as well, I've seen comparisons where people have said he's like the, he's like the shark in Jaws. Mm. He literally cuts through it and and shows up whenever he's needed to to kind of challenge 
Batman. And so you take away that and he is, he's kind of meaningless. Like, I mean, the whole film is about chaos and order. So like you take away the order and you're just left with a mess. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I think it's a fantastic choice. Um, I kind Thank of, you. I, I, yeah, I was, I was very self-conscious of it because it is just like, yeah, the Dark Knight. No, but, I, yeah, I, I do adore it. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful choice, and it's a you know, it's wonderful that we're watching it with Heath Ledger because genuinely, it's one of those movies that I, I and there are only a handful of them where I will watch it for a performance and a performance alone. I will watch it because mm. of Heath Ledger playing the Joker uh, because it's just it's one of the cinema's greatest ever performances. So I couldn't agree with you more, Jack. But our next movie, because of course it's a mm. double bill. We've got this audience here. We've got Heath Ledger here. This is one I don't. Uh, I don't know what you're picking. So what is the movie that is most important to you? Um, it, it's a toss-up between two for very different reasons, but I will go, I will go with the, uh, the second one, I think. Um, but it's The Social Network. It was between that and The Lion King, because The Lion King is the first one I ever saw, and it's very sentimental to me, and certainly a movie I'll carry forever. But The Social Network, again, because it came out at the right kind of time, you know 2010 same year as inception what a great year mm -hmm. um it again just sort of showed me a different kind of part of cinema that I was like oh you can do that and I, I think it's one of the be best screenplays ever written by aaron sorkin and paired with the the direction of david fincher and the specific kind of way that he tells stories uh yeah i, I think that beautiful weird combination of people that kind of feels like it shouldn't work about the creation of Facebook. It just, it's one of those, it's like modern Shakespeare, not to be too like pretentious, but it feels to me like, yeah, a, a modern classic. And I remember seeing it and telling people how much I loved it and it instantly becoming a favorite and people being like the Facebook film. Mm -hmm. And now obviously what are we 12 years later and it's held up as, as I think even Tarantino said it was the best film of, uh, of the 2010s. And he's bloody right. It is, it is, it is a masterpiece. Isn't it? It's, I mean, I, I know we talked about it at the start, you, you know, writing is a means to an end for you, but like when you sort of do think about when someone writes like Aaron Sorkin and uh, like the, the social network really as a subject matter about setting up an internet site to meet people, it does, it should not be as gripping uh, the 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 intricacies of that business model. The example that I I use more than the social network to celebrate his writing is um, is Moneyball because there is yeah I love that uh, movie just but on paper a movie that is about a a, a very unique part of a, a sport that we don't even get over here where it's like yeah. and it's about statistics and like using statistics to pick players. And yeah, it's my it's one of my favorite films. It's one of it's the greatest ever sports drama I've ever watched. And that's, I completely agree. His writing, it's incredible. Yeah, really, really good. One of your follow up questions later is going to be, "What's your favorite quote?" And this isn't it, but it was going to be one of my it was one of my like picks, mm -hmm. which is from Moneyball when uh, Brad Pitt's character says, uh, "It's a problem that you think we have to explain ourselves. Don't." I love that quote so much. It, yeah. I, I just, I just don't. I, I think that's so. Like I, I'm trying, I carry that with me because I lot, a lot of the time I try so hard to try and like give <laughs> give reasons as to why I think something or whatever. It's like, don't don't do it. Did you believe that? Oh, right, that is an incredible double bill. The Social Network, the audience loved it. Heath loved it. But yeah, he'd never seen that either. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the thing we're playing next. We've got time just to squeeze in one more thing. We're going to play on the screen. Uh, what's your favorite shot 
or sequence in a movie. Mm. Okay. Um, because I didn't pick it for my, the most important movie to me, I will pick it for my favorite sequence. It's the circle of life sequence in The Lion King. Okay. Um, I've never seen The Lion King. So um, I, I... Wow! Yeah. So tell me, talk me through the sequence and why you're including it. And wow. maybe, maybe I will then sort of go, do you know what? I really do need to see that now. I genuinely think that you should watch The Lion King. I think it is a masterpiece. Mm. I think that, um, like, even just just to, just outside of this sequence, like, for example, I think Scar, like, Jeremy Irons' performance as Scar is one of the most, like, quotable, fun, enjoyable villains. He's he's so good, and he's loving performing this this role. Like, there's things in it that I will quote in the way that you know that the rhythm in which the joker speaks in the dark knight like kind of just how you can only remember the lines the way he says them yeah that's how jeremy irons is performing scar i'm surrounded by idiots <laughs> like it's so it's so musical in the way he's performing it um but yeah like the opening sequence of the lion king the circle of life sequence you must know it. You must know the iconography. Is it of like where the, the baboon, rising sun? Does the baboon hold up the? Ba- yes. Right. So okay. That's a, okay. But it's like it's like it's Hans Zimmer as well. Before, so Hans Zimmer did the score, and it was the first film he ever won. It was until recently the only Oscar he'd ever got for music for a musical score, um, and it's him doing the the tropes of Hans Zimmer before they become what they are now. So like again, like shaped me before I even really understood that movies weren't always like this, but like it obviously opens on this beautiful sequence where the sun is starting to rise and all the animals are waking up and looking into the sun and sort of jumping across the plains of Africa with these beautiful animated sequences. Um, and then arriving obviously for the, the, the Simba being lifted up by, by Rafiki, Rafiki. um, uh the baboon yes uh which is an amazing sequence where all the um all the animals are like bowing to him and things like that it's just like beautiful just this incredible like work of poetry almost and then like the hands immuneness of it is that it like on the big note the the shot pulls back from pride rock and sees the the huge sort of landscape of it and then it does that boom that hands Zimmer does for everything when it cuts to black and just says the lion king and like that is like how I experience like that's what like titles should look like in my head. <laughs> like it should be like big thing and then boom onto the 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 title. Uh, and that that is just like such a powerful opening. You're like we're in, we've started. I love that. I get what you mean about the titles. Um, I do. I really do. I watched the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead the other day, and, and, <laughs> and I know it's a completely, obviously, thematically slightly different. But I I watched it, and it does <laughs> it does that thing. You've got this on. Fucking believable opening sequence. The world's gone to shit. And then I think Johnny Cash's, you know, uh, the man comes around, kicks in. But just I think just before then, it slams up on the screen that the, the title Dawn of the Dead. And it's just yeah. that timing and like and and that uh, it might not be quite the same, but because I think they play it for a joke, but obviously Cabin in the Woods. Uh, the bit where uh, Rick- ah, it's so good. It's, are you paying attention? <laughs> yeah. Ah! <laughs> yeah, but think about like think about the ending of the Dark Knight. It's exactly what happens. He is the Dark Knight. Zoom, boom, and then the Dark Knight comes on screen. Like it's so ingrained into how movies are done now. And I think that the Lion King. I'm you know talking out my ass. There might have been ones that came out before this and did this, but the Lion King's the first time I ever experienced that kind of punchy. 
Like that's the fucking title. Yeah, We're yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brilliant. I love it. And it's made me want to watch The Lion King now. So I really, really hope you do. It's it I'm, is it honestly is very good. I am because it is also ridiculous that I haven't seen The Lion King. So Jack, you've done a very kind thing. You've printed out T-shirts as a gift for our audience <laughs> uh, with your favourite movie quotes on the front. Uh, Great. So thank you, Jack. That's lovely of you. Uh, what, is no, you're the, welcome. what is the movie quote on the T-shirts that you're handing out to our audience? Again, I've got a few here mm. just because I didn't know how you were going to ask the question. But now thinking about it as a T-shirt... Mm. I'm definitely going to pick this one because I think it worked really, really well on a T-shirt, actually. Okay. Um, it's, it's going to be a bit out of left field, but it's from The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, directed by Ron Howard, starring Jim Carrey, which I think is arguably one of the funniest films I've ever seen. I put it on every single Christmas, and I think Jim Carrey is hilarious. And it's like a laugh a minute kind of kind of funny. Okay. Um, but it is the, the 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 bit that I like the most, and I will be doing an impression of the Grinch. Yes, because I can't not do it. Uh, but there's the bit when he says, four o'clock, wallow in self pity. Four thirty, stare into the abyss. Five o'clock, solve world hunger. Tell no one. Five thirty, jazzercise. Six thirty, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. Seven o'clock, wrestle with my self loathing. I'm booked. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. That was absolutely brilliant. It's such a piece of genius. It is so funny. Uh, it, it, such a brilliant performance. And that's only one of the many stellar jokes that are in The Grinch. I love it. Uh, people are going to love that T-shirt. Um, that's a great T-shirt. I want that T-shirt. That's T-shirt. Um, so... The movies are finished. The crowd have their T-shirts. They're standing. They're preparing to leave the auditorium to ease them back into the cold, hard reality away from our virtual cinema of dreams. We're going to play your favorite piece of music or score from a movie. What are we listening to as we exit? So I'm picking a work of, uh, of John Williams. Mm. Um, the master, obviously, of, of film scores. But I'm picking one that I think is an, an underrated and never really spoken about piece of music, which is from the film Hook, which is really important to, to me because I, I like the way I love James Bond and, and Spider-Man, Peter Pan was the thing that I loved first uh -huh. when I was a kid. And the film Hook, which not even Steven Spielberg likes, mm -hmm. uh, I, I have a soft spot for. But John Williams' theme for for that is so beautiful and he's got there's a piece of music called remembering childhood which um i don't know it just it just yeah just like makes me very emotional to hear it and it goes from this kind of very sweet kind of melodic you know very john williams it goes and it kind of starts off being very like sweet and then it rises and that kind of same theme becomes a huge soaring flight. You know, no, no one does sounding like flying like John Williams. And he manages to do another one of those, uh, like, you know, E.T. Superman, like he always does <laughs> flight very well. And in this one, like that, that same theme becomes a soaring kind of, uh, you know, successful kind of, ah, like larger than life theme when it starts up being this kind of very innocent sounding thing. Wow, the score from Hook. I won't lie, it's not to me, it's not one of the more, more memorable John Williams scores. But exactly, it, it, totally. It never gets spoken about. Yeah. It's a weird film. It's too long. It's got some very strange little moments in it. Mm. But actually, I, I still just have a very, I have a soft spot for it. But yeah, the score 
is a is a part of you know i hear that just just uh, that theme and i'm just transported back to to that feeling i love it we are walking out to that part of john williams score from hook and that is it the curtains have closed the guests are milling out smiling chatting and thanking you for taking them on an incredible night out of the movies but before you go it's time for this week's mystery question as we ask what's in the box 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 that is the sting i'm using so well done yeah yeah great of course of course you got that all right then (laughs) so your question is this what would be your dream directing gig if you could pick anything a property a book a comic an existing cinematic universe what is on your mm. directing bucket list, Jack? I think we've talked about this already. I think I, if I ha- if I had to pick one, it would probably be Bond. I I I would love. I think when I was a kid, I would have wanted to be James Bond and played the role because I was much more into the performance stuff uh, when I was younger. And now, obviously, having too much of a control issue to, to to just be the actor i need to be overseeing all of it i think i'd love to direct a james bond film one day that would be an absolute dream and is there something that you bring to the franchise that you don't think it's had before visually or was that would you leave multiverse <laughs> <laughs> uh no um yeah yeah it's, it's interesting because it's it's you know the reason danny boyle gave for leaving bond was that he was like, i'm too much of a fan mm. So it's interesting like, the way that J.J. Abrams said he had to keep that in check as well. And actually, I guess most filmmakers who are making Star Wars now is like, am I making it to make a new film or am I like just fulfilling the childhood thing in me that like goes, oh, I want to see this thing. Yeah, with Bond, um, I think something that I haven't seen that I would like to see, um, it, I, I got this idea when I saw actually Tom Hiddleston's The Night Manager. Did you see that TV I, show I, a few years I, ago? I did. And uh, again, I, um, I, Tom Hiddleston is brilliant. Tom Hollander is possibly one of the greatest actors on the planet. That man is a phenomenon. Oh, yeah. But yes, I did yeah, see The Night yeah. Manager. It's also interesting as well that Elizabeth, Elizabeth Debicki plays Hugh, yeah, Hugh Laurie's wife, and it's a very similar role to her role in Tenet, where she's like the wife of a of a almost a billionaire who's doing dealings in yes yes bad weapons and things like that so it's very interesting that that's just a parable um but uh that the idea that gave me was i'd love to see a bond movie where bond has been undercover for years like you almost you start it and he's been undercover with something for a long time i think it'll be very very different for him uh and a different perspective on 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 a kind of Bond story. It would be very, it'd be yeah, so different to any, how he usually is with things, which is very just like passive. That would be fascinating. Where you know, mm. for once, when someone goes, "What's your name?" He doesn't go Bond, James Bond, because he's actually on yeah. the cover. And yeah, and what an amazing sort of opening sequence. I, I actually recently watched uh, the Living Daylights, mm. um, and. I really like how they introduce again. It's in a meta way. I really like how they introduce Timothy Dalton in a. I don't know if you remember the opening sequence is like a training situation Which goes where they're wrong, being doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So everyone's being shot with paintball guns, and then eventually somebody is really shot, and then also somebody drops off a cliff, mm. and it's all these other spies that are in training, 
And then when it goes wrong and becomes a real situation, not a training situation, James Bond comes and saves the day. Yes. And it's like, well, what a great way of showing that he's the best one. Yes. Like, it's, it's such a really interesting kind of way of introducing your new James Bond. Mm. Uh, which one is it going to be? Oh, it's him. Um, and I think that you're right, that the idea of introducing your new James Bond and you think he's going to say the iconic line, but actually he's been undercover for a long time. Mm. That would be interesting. And that's what they, I think that's what happens in The Night Manager. He's, he's, he's like pretending to be a hotel manager for years. That's great. Honestly, Jack, between that and your multiverse pitch, I would absolutely love to see you doing a Bond movie. I think they're really great ideas, man. That's brilliant. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. I think also just like there's so much of like the spy genre in my head that I feel like you know, I just everything is just like a pick of lots of other things that you like and you've seen. Mm. The, like, for example, the opening sequence of Inception that we've mentioned, the bit when Leo is sneaking around, just taking out guards silently and sneaking around corners and cutting out glass and like all that sort of stuff. I'm like, this is Bond. This is like, this is Nolan being like, I love Bond and this is what this is what Bond would look like if I was doing it. And that just reminds me of like the opening sequence of Goldeneye when he's sneaking around in the in the Russian facility after he gets into the bathroom and he's just it's just like that moment when Pierce Brosnan like goes around a corner with the gun up like this, like looking to see what's around the corner. And like that's, that's James Bond in a frame. Yeah, and that's, yeah. it's that kind of sneakiness that I'm missing from Craig era, which is much more bombastic yeah. and like going in and just getting shit done. But actually I think doing a quieter, sneakier, more tension-based thriller would be really interesting to see Bond do that. That would be fantastic. A quieter, more tension-based thriller with Henry Cavill mm. there. Definitely Henry Cavill. No <laughs> one else. Just Henry Cavill. <laughs> and then just every Henry Cavill's playing every character. <laughs> <laughs> A billion Cavills. Uh, yeah, I love it. Um, and that Jack is it. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. Uh, but before you leave, let's recap your. Perfect night out at the cinema. You have gone to the cinema with Heath Ledger at 6pm on an empty stomach. <laughs> you are sitting dead centre three or four rows from the back. You're having a hot dog, some revels and absolutely no popcorn. You've decorated the cinema corridor with the posters for, and just to clarify, No Time to Die, Suicide Squad, Marriage Story, and The Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> we are watching The Dark Knight, followed by The Social Network. Jack Howard, have you had a good time on your trip to the movies? It's been eclectic. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I've had, a, <laughs> I've had a fantastic time. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, this has been great, great fun to, to imagine that situation uh, along with you. And I hope that you were in the auditorium as well. Oh, I was invited. Okay, well, I, I can retrofit yeah. myself into this. You're in the experience. line. You're in the, you're in the queue of people that are also waiting to get in that I, I, I very kindly let in with me. <laughs> Thank you so much. And Mr. Jack Howard, goodbye. Bye. And as Jack's cab carries him away from our virtual cinema off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out as a very real Odeon cinema. The lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week. And if you'd like a chance of getting these tickets, all you have to do is leave us a review of the show. You can leave it on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can post it to our social media where we are at Trip to Movies Pod. 
squad. The competition is only open to UK residents and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. A big thank you to Shazmay, who left us the following review on Apple Podcasts last week titled Solidarity in Solitude. Come for the funny anecdotes and insightful movie discourse, but stay for the validation that celebrities enjoy going to the cinema alone as much as you do. Thank you, Shazme. Get in touch at our email address, triptomovies at gmail.com. That's triptomovies at gmail.com, and we'll send you your tickets. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full ad-free video interviews for this episode and every episode on our Trip to the Movies Patreon, as well as loads of other extras, including early access to the podcast as well. So if you'd like to join our Patreon community, head to a Trip to the Movies on Patreon. And that really is it. I'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye.